This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. So good morning again, everyone. It's a real pleasure and privilege to welcome Ren Shin Bunce back to Austin Zen Center. Ren gave us a talk during COVID times, I think maybe the first year of that era, and uh, spoke to us about her recently published book, a memoir of her of her work as a, a chaplain, a hospital chaplain, hospice chaplain, and her encounters with people who were in the process of dying and supporting those who were also uh, witnessing that process and how it affected her and her practice. It's a wonderful book. You can find it on Amazon. Please remind me of the title, Ren. I can't come up with it right now. Love and Fear. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful book. Very readable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Full of practice. And Ren retired from that job and is now living up in Humboldt, where, according to Facebook, anyway, he's been very happy wandering the, the coastal wonders of Humboldt County, far from, from San Francisco. And she graciously agreed to return and offer us her teaching today. So thank you. Something about love. Tell us something about love, please. I vow to do my best, my old friend. Get yourself settled, Choro. I'm going to do that. (laughs) It's a constant process with all this stuff we wear, you know. (laughs) The great Mel Weitzman longtime abbot of Berkeley Zen Center once said that ordaining is like walking into a haberdasher. That's how old Mel was. Walking into a haberdasher and having a shelf full of fabric fall on you. <laughs> it's, it's actually a lot more than that. But the first, uh, the first year or two, right, is robe management. And what's amazing is both Choro and I are far past the first year. Isn't it amazing? Isn't time amazing? I could sit here all day and reminisce with you, but I have to say one little thing. I have a very clear memory at Tassajara of you sewing by the pool and inviting me to put a few stitches in what you were sewing. I don't know if it was a rakasu or an okesa or what. I've neglected to mention Ren is a master sewing teacher in our tradition of making Buddha's robe. But at that point, (laughs) we were just putting all this together and setting out on our our paths of practice. So I'll never forget that. You took out your earphones. And those, said, would those, you like to put some stitches in? <laughs> those, those were the days. Those were the days. And, and and the problem is we thought they would never end. Yeah. So so here we are. Something about love. Why is it so hard to be human? What is it? What is it to be human? This is uh, this is what Zen is about. What is it to be human? I really want to start by echoing my sister Zenju Manuel. I heard her give a wonderful series of classes recently. She has a new book. And at the end of the third class, she kind of changed course a little bit. And she said, you know, I want to say, I'm not doing this for myself. 
I'm not writing books and giving talks and meditating, meditating, <laughs> meditating for myself. This, this is the practice to benefit all beings. And I feel, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to see so many of you because I feel more and more strongly all the time the, um, the necessity of keeping this practice alive as it has evolved in America. We're doing something really unusual. For me, something really important. So that's my intention. That's that's my intention. It's too it's too easy to to give a talk like this um, for the laughs and the love. So this is for the benefit of all beings. I am a graduate of San Francisco Zen Center. I lived there for seven years. I am a sewing Dharma heir of Blanche Hartman. I once heard Blanche say to someone that she was trying to clone herself, referring to me. Blanche was my ordination teacher, and actually her attempt to clone herself is why it didn't work out. <laughs> I, uh, I made Jukai with Myogen Steve Stuckey in a, uh, a Zendo smaller than the one you're sitting in. We converted a two-car garage in San Rafael into a Zendo. And when it was time for Jukai, we opened up the garage doors so people could sit in the garden and watch. It was really uh, fabulous. That was 1996. I then went to San Francisco Zen Center and got completely caught up. A change from when I first was going there, when I was at the end of my drinking and desperate for help. I didn't go to meditate, but I went to hear the talks. And looking around at the people like Choro and me today, the people in these get-ups, and thinking, who do you, who do you think you are? <laughs> what are you doing? That remains a very active question. But I loved it. So I was the person running around in a robe and telling people what to do. I moved to Tassajara. I ordained with Blanche. And um, the big surprise was when my original teacher, Steve Stuckey, became abbot of San Francisco Zen Center. He hadn't lived there for 20 years. So we reunited, and uh, I did receive transmission from Steve about, about four months before he got his diagnosis of stage four pancreatic cancer. So we had the transmission ceremony in June, and he died in December. And I am currently completing a book about Steve. I am so excited about this. I think I think I sent the final uh, text to print yesterday. So I'm thinking about my teacher. I'm thinking about. I'm always thinking about Zen. I moved up here to Eureka about a year and a half ago. And um, I took a big chance, and it's working. And somehow being a Zen teacher is turning into my primary occupation, and I couldn't be happier. So I have a sitting group up here. I see Lou is here. He's a member of the group. 
I ha- I do Zoom with my San Mateo students three times a week. Still do counseling. Two days after Steve learned he was terminally ill, he gave the talk he was scheduled to give at Green Gulch. And in that talk, he said, the tree is as much a part of me as my shoulder. The sky is as much a part of me as my eyelashes. And the sound of the ocean is as much a part of me as the sound of my own breathing. And when Steve said, the tree is as much a part of me as my shoulder, he wasn't kidding. He wasn't being poetic. There's a story from transmission. I was not allowed to be a part of the assembly. So Steve was going around and he was teaching and I was in a room doing a bunch of calligraphy. No complaints. He gave a talk the first night. And the next morning at breakfast, someone said something about the song he sang and I started singing. And the song is called Relax Your Mind. He used to bring his guitar into the zendo and sing lead belly songs. <laughs> so when I started singing Relax Your Mind, Steve said, you weren't supposed to be in the zendo. And I said, I, I don't have to be in the zendo to know what song you're singing. But again, it was years after he died, remembering that story, remembering him with his guitar, that I realized what he was saying was, can you relax your mind? <laughs> relax your mind. The tree is as much a part of me as my shoulder. How do we get to being that person? This is, this is the question. After I got sober, I became quite an ardent Christian. I found a wonderful Episcopalian church. It was wonderful because the priest gave great sermons. He was very charismatic. And he would talk about Jesus saying to his students, right? Jesus says, it's time for me to die. And his students say, oh, wait, what? (laughs) Could you sum up your teaching for us if you're going to be dying now? And Jesus's answer, yes, what I've been telling you from the start, love one another. Me, newly sober with jangled nerves and rage and fear. I thought that sounded really good. And I would want to, I'd want to raise my hand, you know, excuse me, sir, how? How do I love these people? I was surrounded by nincompoops. (laughs) How am I supposed to love them? (laughs) And I I tell that story a lot because I think that's it. How do I become a person who's capable of love, which is, is that 180 degrees? I think it is, which is a complete switch from what we are taught, at least women are, at least I was in 1950s Southern California. I was taught that my job was to be lovable. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) 
to find someone who would love me and take care of me and explain the meaning of life. Tell me what to do. So I'm a little alcoholic. I proceeded that way. And um, anytime I found that person, <laughs> it, it didn't work so well. So there I was. Oh, love one another. That's right. At the same time, that same time in my life, someone gave me this great little book by someone named Thaddeus Golas, and it's called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. Very <laughs> obscure. I have two copies. <laughs> Thaddeus, Golas, Thaddeus Golas says, he's so great. He says, go beyond reason to love. It is safe. It is the only safety. My idea of love was vulnerability, right? If I made myself vulnerable to another person, if I dared to connect on a deep level with another person, I would be hurt. Thaddeus Gola says, no, that's where safety is. And this is true. If I have, if I've developed the ability to be loving, then, then I'm invulnerable. I'm going to be heard. Stuff is going to happen. Back to the title of my book, which is um, actually trite, love and fear, right? Those are our two choices. Dwelling in fear, not so interesting, is it? Not so, not so rewarding, not safe at all. Dwelling in love. So I like to think that when some years after hearing what Jesus taught, I ended up sitting on a little round black cushion, right? I went to a Zen center and somebody said, sit down and shut up. <laughs> Stop knowing so much. I loved it when Choro said I emerged from a cloud of unknowing, if only that emergence, right? Zazen is the big trick. Zazen is the magic. Zazen is slow, slow, slow. Sit down and learn what it is to be human by looking at your own mind. So the first step is to develop the ability to look at our own minds. I started in Vipassana, which is a great, great tradition. My first sitting group was with Jack Cornfield. Great. Jack would give these talks. And Jack would talk about life. He'd talk about money. He'd talk about sex. He'd talk about getting along with people. I sat once a week so I could hear those talks. But meditation was torture. Sitting still with my mind. Sitting still. With my And in Vipassana, you sit with your eyes closed. So there was nothing to do but think about myself. Torture. Mm -hmm. Willing to do it for the sake of beginning to be exposed to the Dharma. One of my students asked me recently, I mean, I'm always emphasizing Zazen. And one of my students asked me recently, is Zazen the whole thing? Like, no. The bird has two wings. One wing is wisdom. The other wing is compassion. So wisdom is the teachings. Wisdom is the great, is 
all of the people who've gone through what we are going through and have shared their understanding with us. It's all piling up. There's the wisdom wing. How do I develop compassion? Really, by watching my own mind, watching my own heart, letting my heart be broken over and over and over. So the bird has two wings. The tool that we're given is to sit still, not with our eyes closed, right? Because Zen turns out to be a big social activity. <laughs> when I sit with my, with my gaze cast down, I see feet and I know I'm not alone. For me, and I don't think I'm unusual in this, the essential problem was Am I alone? They say alcoholism is the disease of loneliness. And I was so amazed to hear that when I first got to AA. But I think loneliness and the fear of being alone are slightly different. And what I have to say about that is so, if it could be put into words, it would be. It's the understanding that the tree is as much a part of me as my shoulder. This is not being alone. It's the understanding that you and I knew each other. We were together because we're parts of a whole before we even met. This is not being alone. This is the great, this is the enlightenment that everybody talks about. This is not a state that we're, oh, I'm enlightened now. And it's not the state that one could wish for, that I'm enlightened and I don't have any problems anymore. Zen is not teaching us how to get perfect. Zen is not a self-improvement project. However, I had to do a lot of self-improvement before anyone was even willing to be in the same room with me. <laughs> So first we do that, right? This helping each other figure out what's going on around here. And what Steve emphasized to me over and over is be kind, be nice. You don't have to always be right. You don't always have to make your point. <laughs> Great Zen teaching. I have been teaching from this wonderful, wonderful new collection of talks from Joko Beck. Well, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> it's called Ordinary Wonder. And her daughter put together this book. And in this, Joko Beck, Joko Beck was a great teacher. She has a great story. She was a concert pianist. After her divorce, she had, I think, three kids. She had to care for herself and her kids. She became a secretary at UCSD. She was in San Diego. Uh, life was going along okay. I like this part of the story because I was raised by a single mother who was a secretary. 
the difference between my mother and Joko Beck is a friend of Joko Beck said, oh, this Japanese priest guy is going to give a talk, let's go. And that was Maizumi Roshi. And when Joko Beck heard Maizumi Roshi speak for the first time, she was a Zen student. For many years, while she was continuing to raise her children, a group of them would drive from San Diego to Los Angeles every weekend to be with Maizumi. Once her kids were out of the house, she moved to Los Angeles and lived in community to train. I like her because she's a woman. I love my women teachers. I love that aspect. I like her because she brings a lot of Western psychology into Zen. And, and I have found that necessary. So, so Joko Beck says, yeah, our central work is to shift very slowly, usually over a lifetime, from a self-centered view of things to a life-centered view of things. And I don't mean to shift from self-centered to other-centered. That's just an alternative strategy. Working in hospice, working with healthcare people, I and a lot of other people were super other-centered. There's something beyond that. Being, being, being realistically, practically helpful. You see someone and they need help and you help them. This is great. There is something beyond that. This becoming a part of the whole, becoming life-centered. Joko Beck says, our practice is always to uncover Mm-hmm. Always to uncover what's blocking our awareness of the wonder that is life. There was a time in my residence. I was coming out of the residence at Zen Center. I was coming out of the gloom, out of the fear-based, the, the essential thinking, which was that everyone's mean and they're going to hurt you because you're no good, right? That's the basis. Coming out of that into what Joko Beck calls being life-centered. And I would see something. I remember seeing some flowers at Tassajara and stopping and seeing how beautiful they were. And when that would happen, I would think, I think this practice is working. I think I'm beginning to be able to see the beauty, I'm being able to stop thinking about myself long enough to see how beautiful the world is. Yeah. <laughs> Once I heard Mel, again, I heard Mel say, you know the way on day four of Sashin, the whole world is kind of shimmery and beautiful. And Mel said, it's always that way. <laughs> how can we how can we live like that? And and I think in that to find a way to stop thinking about myself all the time is is the big I was gonna say it's the big secret, it's the big gift. It's the big magic gift. 
when all I'm thinking about is myself, how am I doing? How do I look? What should I say next? Are they going to stop talking so I can start talking? <laughs> that That's not freedom. It's passing. I used to, I used to have a t-shirt that said in small letters, passing for saying, right? <laughs> Partly it has to do with getting older, but I'm sure that it has to do with more years, more hours on the Zafu. I'm increasingly willing to be who I am, for better or worse. That's freedom. And that, that is all my teacher Steve ever asked of me from before he even met me. One reason he remained my teacher for 20 years is he really never told me what to do. Blanche always told me what to do. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Again, you know, you think it's all you want. I just want to find someone who will tell me what to do. But then they do. Oh, no. <laughs> Steve never told me what to do. He just... I've, I've taught from Zen mind, beginner's mind for so many years. What, what I mean when I say I teach, what I do is what I've come to call living rooms in, nothing fancy, sit for half an hour, we sit facing each other. I don't get all dressed up, I wear a rakasu, sit facing each other for half an hour, and then we read something together. So this means that I have read Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind closely, paying attention for the benefit of others, because they're always asking me to explain Suzuki Roshi. <laughs> It's, it is just so great to be immersed in Suzuki Roshi. I think I still, I was going to say I don't trust many people. I actually am going to say that part of growing up in Zen is learning to trust other people to be who they are, right? I used to think that trusting people meant finding people who would never hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Find the freedom to be who I am and and give others the same respect. So one of the great talks from Suzuki Roshi that I refer back to all the time is about the big field. He says, give your cows a big field and just watch them. Now, this is how we, we give each other respect. He says, don't, don't tie your cow to a tree. I have a guy in my study group now who actually is a rancher up here. So this last Wednesday, he said, boy, that's really true. Somebody tied one of my cows to a tree and it strangled itself. <laughs> give, your, give your cow, give your mind a big field. Don't be so mean to yourself. It's just a thought. Thoughts arise and they pass away. This ability to watch my thoughts, to not get caught by them, to not have to act on every damn thought that comes up, to not believe that they are me. I've liked to talk about the process. I've liked to talk about it as if what we're doing is scraping away, and I always make this scraping gesture, we're scraping away the habits and conditioning 
that have been running us to become who we are. But I'm that just this week, it occurred to me that is not it because the scraping is too much effort. We're not the school of effort. Blanche would say in Rinzai, right? The koan branch of Zen in Rinzai, they see the fruit on the tree and they jump, 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 jump. And then she'd say in Soto, we just sit under the branch and wait for the fruit to fall on us. <laughs> and this is true. So this, this getting beyond habit and conditioning, I like the image more now because I've been thinking about delusion a lot. It's like finally after 35 years, I'm beginning to really see how deluded I am. And how that's how it is to be human. There's nothing wrong with that. Sitting still with all of my habits and conditioning in a kind of fog of unknowing around me. And once in a while, I can see through that fog. I can see, oh, that's what I did. Well, that, oh, that's that idea. And then I'm less likely to have to act on it. Yesterday, I was picking up medicine at Safeway. There's always a long line. So I went through the line and we did some stuff. I had to change a doctor, blah, blah. And then the medicine wasn't ready. She said, you can come back in 15 or 20 minutes. I said, am I going to have to stand in that line again? Because <laughs> that's kind of the worst thing that can happen to me. And uh, she said, you can go in that room and we'll bring it to you. I said, fine. So... I did my shopping, I sat in the room, they came and got me. And it was a different lady and I had to stand in the line again. <laughs> right? And, and when I, but, but the thing is that when I got home, it, it was, not, it, it was a, not a big deal. A little tiny deal, but it was something. And when I got home, I thought, now what was that? What is that being so impatient what is that being upset by something like that and what it is is thinking i'm above standing in line that's for other people i'm so special that i should rig things that i never have to stand in line that's a pretty good insight that's pretty good to know the next time i'm on hold with apple tech support for an hour <laughs> that's life be a person. And again, just, just get out of yourself. So you can, where's Joko? To move, so, so I can, for the benefit of all beings, yes, for my, yes, so I won't be anxious and depressed all the time, but for the benefit of all beings, so I can move from a self-centered view of things to a life-centered view of things. Suki Roshi said, if you want to stop suffering, have I got your attention? If you want to stop suffering, <laughs> stop creating duality. So when I'm in Safeway, I'm creating a duality. And it's very familiar. It's the duality. I am one thing and everyone and everything else is a whole other thing. That's a big mistake. 
if I want to stop suffering, stop creating that duality, be a part of. I think that I have a Joko. Our core belief has us seeing a tiny piece of something as everything. <laughs> because our emotions say it is everything. With practice, our world opens to the wonder of experiencing that this thing we thought of as ourself is just a tiny part of everything we see. Love one another. Thomas Merton, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. Being aware of these possibilities, practicing diligently, pointing my heart in that direction, is there anything better to do? Coming in off the porch and into the room, being together with others, being a person among people. Isn't this the answer? Isn't this what I was looking for? I hope so. That is half an hour and I understand that there's time for questions and answers. I hope so. Well, anyway, questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. Are there questions or comments? Yes. Could you say your name? Monica. Monica. Hi, Ren. Thank you. I really enjoyed your talk. I'm really interested to learn more about your uh, work in hospice care and your involvement in transitions into death. It was um, it was a hail mary. I thought when I gave up gave up everything and moved into Zen Center, I thought I'd live there forever. And when I realized that wasn't how it was going, I had to make a living and I was 65 and I had no money. What? I, I had been selling real estate. I wasn't gonna go back to that. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. <laughs> so I, I figured out, I found out how to train as a hospice chaplain, which meant doing a one-year hospital residency. I learned that the jobs, most of the jobs for chaplains are in hospice. Very few hospital chaplains. Most of the people you see running around hospitals saying, I'm a chaplain, they're training. They're being me with one month of experience being called to the ICU at three in the morning to do something. And this is how we learn. I was a hospice chaplain for 12 years. It was all home visits. For some people, their home is a nursing home. And someone asked recently, doesn't it happen that when people, when death is near, that people have a big spiritual conversion and I'm like, no, <laughs> as a matter of fact, my experience is that when death comes near, we double down on our ideas. Whatever we were when that transition starts, we become more so. So I was able, I as a, as, as a priest, as someone interested in being useful, I got this constant display of what it is to be human. One thing that caught my attention is the duality of blame. 
people were <laughs> people were always you know as i like to say on a day when i have self esteem i blame others on a day when i don't i blame myself <laughs> but it's always you know whose fault is this i want to talk to management <laughs> <laughs> People say they believe in God, but they don't know what that means. That's been a little pillow behind their head all their life. People are not afraid of going to hell. A lot of people think they're going to heaven. Another pillow behind the head. We're on the two pillow track here. What does that mean? Nobody's given it any thought. Here's the best thing I saw. What do people want? We want to be seen. We just want someone to say, you exist. And this is only a gift that we can give to another person if we're not self-obsessed. There's a, I've started going back to AA. I go to one AA meeting a week. And there's a girl who comes to my regular meeting and she is, I don't know, she is so tight. I think what I'm seeing is she radiates suffering. And she's coming to this meeting. Is she sober? I don't, she never says a word to anyone. So whenever I can, I sit next to her. <laughs> to, just to hope what I'm radiating is, I see you. You're here. Working as a chaplain was great, except you're working for a big bureaucracy and they always make you go to meetings. <laughs> there are mid-level bureaucrats who have complete power over your life, so I don't miss that part of it. I'm a volunteer now up here. And read the book, because one reason I wrote the book is, oh, Here's how you get trained. Here's how you get a job. And here's what it's like. Enough? Any more on that? Uh, really interesting to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was really great to be able to do that work. It was hard, too. It was really hard. <laughs> yeah. Anybody? Uh, Renshin? This is Dave. Can you hear me? I'm online. Gotcha. Hello, Rinchin. So first, let me acknowledge to you and to the whole Sangha that you um, were so helpful to me over the pandemic. I spoke to you the day before my mom died in 2020, and uh, I still look oh, at the notes, wow. and it is still helpful. And I've also Hi, shared... Dave. Hello, hello. And I've shared the notes also with my family. And so you benefited many beans in a very important moment. And I'm so grateful to you for that. Thank you. I do have a observation and I, something I wonder if you can help me understand in relation to two things that you just talked about. So the first thing, uh, the first thing that uh, I want to mention is one of the last things you said, which is love others. Is there anything more important? Something to that effect. But then earlier you said Zen practice, uh, uh, trusting others is not trusting others to not hurt you, 
but to trust them to be themselves. So how do you love others and trust <laughs> them to be themselves when in many cases those things are um, really unskilled things that they are, unskilled behaviors that they use? How do others love me when I use unskilled behaviors? This is what I'm wondering about, this contrast between loving others and expecting them to be what they are. We might as well go for the gold and talk about Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Am I supposed to, you know, it used to be Hitler, now it's Trump. Am I supposed to love is that what I'm saying? I'm supposed to love everybody? For me, the portal to that, and, and my answer to that question is yes, everybody. Uh, as we like to say, loving people doesn't mean liking them. But the portal to that, to agree with Thomas Merton, that love is free of judgment, is to understand that others are subject to causes and conditions. Others are living in reaction to habits and social conditioning, just as I am. So there's a kind of forgiveness in there. There's not agreement. There's I also like to, I mean, I get to love others. It's, it's up to me to determine from what distance. <laughs> and some people, boy, oh boy, you know, some people are really bad for me. Some people really knock me off center. So I should not be driving around in a car with someone like that but I can see them from across a room. And instead of going into blame and thinking about how terrible they are, I can just revert to love and move on. You reminded me of, with Steve, I asked my Zen teacher how I could bear my past. I had done too much harm and too much harm had been done to me. You were, I think, I had done too much harm and too much harm had been done to me. Was I that same person now? Could I forgive her? Could I forgive them? Everything that's happened in your life has conspired to create you as you are now, my teacher Steve said. Everything that's happened in your life has conspired to create you as you are now. Accept yourself as you are, and all other questions will fall away. So that vast, I was going to say forgiveness, but forgiveness implies fault. That generosity, that gen, that's perhaps, I mean, love, what is, you know, it's a Subaru. It's a banana. What do I, you know, <laughs> love? Perhaps we could replace that with generosity. To, um, in an old phrase I heard in an AA meeting decades ago, to um, 
allow them the dignity to make their own mistakes. Does that help? I mean, this is exactly the question. How? How? More zazen, more zazen, grasshopper. <laughs> it's really nice to see you. It's really, and thank you for, I mean, we never, we never know. So thank you for letting me know that I, I actually in some way was helpful. Thank you. There was a whole campaign about love is a truck. Do you remember that? I forget which car manufacturer. Love is a truck. <laughs> I've never forgotten it. <laughs> no, no. Every everybody up here drives a Subaru, and I'm like, I cannot. <laughs> I, if I'm if I may, there's a lady in a green rock a Sioux. Could I put you on the spot and? Ask yeah you you yeah who 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 are you how are you doing? At Yingst. <laughs> well, I am loving your talk. I just think it hit so many targets for me. I'm glad to hear it. Is the Green Rockasu? Have you received lay transmission Dharma entrustment? Yes. Last Congratulations. Congratulations. That is that's fantastic. I love that we are bringing that in. And uh -huh. She received a entrustment from, um, from Mako before she decamped for. Aww. Yeah, Aww. and uh, one of our longest-term practitioners here from the beginning through all the teachers, all the changes, all of the everything. And uh, I can't yeah. seem to leave. I've, I've <laughs> <laughs> You're hooked. I I first went to Tassajara with Flint Sparks. Oh, right. So, and I hope that Austin Zen Center still has that black and white photo of Blanche at Tassajara. I took that picture of Blanche during that practice period. We have many and pictures was, of Blanche. Yeah. <laughs> and I was at Tassajara with Mapo and Kosho. So, oh, I ought to come down and meet you guys sometime. Yeah. So thank you, thank you for sticking around. This is, <laughs> I mean, this this is what we have to do. We this is what we. If we have, if we're benefiting from the teachings, we have to keep them warm for the next person who who needs the help. Uh, just just so you all know, there is an offer out there for Ren to come and visit from, have to pry her loose from her paradise <laughs> among the redwoods. But, uh, when it's Let's possible, see what's. Yeah, it's a scorching 57 degrees out here right now. <laughs> <laughs> when it when it gets up to 70 they start opening the cooling rooms <laughs> we can fix that <laughs> so any anybody anybody anything or are we done i have a question hi i'm daniel um and well i work in a plant which is a very loud environment and it's very difficult to maintain a spirit of zen in an environment where people are yelling and there's not a lot of machinery going off. And I know you worked in a hospital, which is a very sterile and uh, very sad environment often. Um, and I was wondering if you had any insight into how to maintain a spirit of Zen in such a non-Zen setting. I'd say first remove the label Zen 
<laughs> from the question. Zen is, Zen is being who we are. When you are you, Zen is Zen. We're not in a perpetual ohm. As you describe the factory, I wouldn't be able to bear it. I'm, I'm a sensitive person and noise I got a, I got a water, <laughs> I got a water fountain for my cat and it had a little motor. And from across the room, the sound of that motor drove me nuts. I had to return the cat's water fountain. <laughs> people shouting, machinery pounding. I wouldn't be able to bear it. Other people don't notice it. There are all kinds of people. Being Zen, being you, being okay in such an environment first means keeping, for me, keeping, it, for me, it would mean keeping control of my temper because an environment like that would have me on edge so much that I would revert to being reactive and I'd start snapping at people. So first, to be aware of that possibility, to keep an eye on myself, to keep an eye, again, we train on the cushion to watch our mind so that when we're off the cushion, we can watch our mind and not contribute to the problem and drop this is Zen, this is not Zen. Here's the big field, here's the generosity. It's all just being human, doing the best we can, trying to be helpful. Is that, is that enough? That helps a lot, thank you very much. I'm glad to hear it. I love the way I'm leaning into the screen to hear. <laughs> I got my buds. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? I'm certainly enjoying this. Anybody online? Last call. Last call. Maybe they want their tea and cookies. Who doesn't? <laughs> it's 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 seven minutes after nine in California. I'm ready for my oatmeal. Thank you, Choro. Thank you for inviting me. Choro and I are going to be roommates at Branching Streams in September. So, yep, I know. You know, back to the alone thing, the loneliness thing. Being connected, being a part of Zen in America is so rewarding. Being friends for decades is the very best thing. So um, so I can finish with, that's my wish for you. May you find your people, your caress. May you find yourself within that group. And may, may we all, may we all find a way to live that benefits all beings. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. See you in September. See you in September, baby. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we may never leave the room and just be, you know, <laughs> trading anecdotes and insights. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Thank you all. Um, we do have tea and cookies for those of us who are here. Thank you, everybody online, for coming and participating.